Welcome to Pastor's Class. Uh, tonight we are back in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been following along for the last few weeks listening to Jesus' teaching. And it's important we put all of these things in context. It, it, you can't just take the Sermon on the Mount out and say, okay, go follow this and you'll be a Christian. You got, you got to have it in the context of the gospel. So the Sermon on the Mount is given by Jesus. It is the ethic of Christian kingdom living. But Christian kingdom living doesn't do any good if Christ is not inside, if you have not been born again. So this teaching must be seen in the context of the gospel that Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is Savior, living perfectly, dying on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised Him from the dead. And anyone who repents and believes is saved. Once you're saved, you come here to this teaching and you see that it is what Christianity looks like. This is how we live. Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So when you read this and you hear what Jesus is teaching, you're going to hear him say things like, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, and then he follows that with, but I say to you, and then he gives an expanded view. That is not him doing away with the Old Testament. That is Jesus filling full, fulfilling the Old Testament. We find that right here in Matthew chapter 5. Let me just read the passage we're going to uh, study tonight and then say a word of prayer and we'll get at it. Matthew chapter 5, I'll start in verse 33. Jesus says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Here comes the but I say to you. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And then it goes into retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And I pray you would take this teaching, take our time together, make it fruitful and beneficial and good for your people. So be honored now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How we talk to other people and how we treat other people has a direct reflect on the gospel message we live and the gospel that we speak. If we don't speak well to other people and if it's not received well and if we don't treat other people in a Christian way, then our Christianity really doesn't have any bearing. So let's go to what Jesus is saying here in verse 33. And I think you've got to start with a clean conscience. When you read verse 33, he quotes the Bible. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So if you have a study Bible, you might already see that really Jesus is not quoting a direct quote from the Old Testament. 
that statement right there, what he's done is he's gathered up some text in the Old Testament and made sort of, sort of an amalgam of Old Testament scriptures that speak to telling the truth. So what does the Bible say about truth-telling and about taking oaths and about making vows? Well, we'll work backwards from Ecclesiastes. I'm preaching in Ecclesiastes. And uh, you've heard me say from Ecclesiastes 5, where um, the preacher talks about going up to the house of God, guard your steps as you go there, and he speaks about making a vow. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4, uh, the preacher says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Or if you go deeper into the Old Testament, say, into the five books of the law. Go, go to uh, Leviticus. That's a real Old Testament book. Leviticus 19.12. Moses says, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of God. This is a direct revelation from God to not swear on the name of God. The book of Numbers, he'll say the same thing. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. Uh, the Lord gives him this law that if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that comes out of his mouth. So you see the, the weight that God himself puts on telling the truth and making promises. And you read the law here and realize that Jesus, remember what he said? I did not come to do away with or abolish the law. What I've come to do is to expand it, to fulfill it, to bring it out of uh, legalism and being a Pharisee and put it into, into your hearts. When you read these things, uh, whether it's in Leviticus or Numbers or even in Ecclesiastes, and you hear Jesus expand on what God has said, you are reminded of the holiness of God. That, that saying something, especially as a Christian, that is not true or is half-truth, um, you realize is a breach against the name of God and the holiness of God, which speaks to most of us are not just outright liars. I'm going to assume that most people watching online and most people that come to church here are just not natural-born liars. What we typically do is just skew it just a bit. That is to say, we uh, tell maybe a, a half-truth or even a three-quarter truth. We find loopholes or innuendos. We find ways to avoid the truth or soften the truth. And it's really good for us, like I'm glad we're using the reading plan in the Old Testament right now, it's really good for us to come face to face with uh, the, the holiness of God, especially when we start to think about what we say. Come, coming back to the law of God, I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus says, I'll tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for, er for every careless word they speak. Now, when I was preparing for this, I, you know, I went and found that, that passage and what Jesus said in the same book, the book of Matthew. That is a scary thought, that we certainly are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. 
But there is a day, a day of judgment, when all of those things that we have carelessly said, can you think of the, just today, I'm going to assume that most of you are watching this, it's Wednesday evening, maybe you're watching it another day, but think about just today, the things that you have said that were careless, that, that came out of your mouth, out of, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what kind of reflection that is on what it means to be a Christian. You know, the law of God, um, we don't do away with it. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He's fulfilling it. The law of God is there for a couple of reasons. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Old Testament, the law of God, uh, shows us the holiness of God. It reveals God's character. It's a mirror to see God's character. But that mirror also shows us our own sinfulness. So when we read those Old Testament texts, don't discount it. Realize your own sinfulness. The law of God is there to remind us, to, res to restrain us. So we read those about telling the truth, not taking a vow. It reminds us we, we need to not do that. And the law of God is there for those that have been regenerated, for Christians. The Old Testament, this is the reason we continue to read it, is it's useful for showing us what is it that God expects from His children. And in this passage, especially in regards to telling the truth. So, Ask a couple of questions of yourself. This has something to do with how we speak. How, how, do, you, how do you communicate? Or more than that, communication is not just what you say, it's going to be how it's received. So it's important that you, uh, when you communicate, you're not just saying, well, that's just the way I am. It's important you take some thought into how is this actually being heard when it's coming out of my, line, uh, coming out of my mouth. Uh, one question I ask myself as I prepare for this, because I'm guilty of this a lot, is um, what are your nonverbals? Like I, I'm real bad at uh, facial expressions or nonverbal communication. I do a lot of that. And that's still, you're actually still saying something. Uh, maybe a, a more fundamental um, issue might would be what do you do with the truth? Do you manipulate the truth, because here's the, here's the matter at hand. If our speech is tainted, if our communication is tainted, if you are seen as someone that skews the truth or is bitter about the truth or doesn't actually speak the truth in love, if our speech is tainted, then our gospel is tainted. We need to start with a clear and clean conscience. Let me give you another uh, something else to consider. You see it in verse 34, 35, and 36, and watch how Jesus gets right into the meat of, of his argument. And that is that we need to say, say what you mean and don't avoid the truth. Say what you mean and don't avoid the truth. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 34, 35, and 36. Let me read it. <clears throat> but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So no oaths. Do not take an oath at all. Listen to the things you don't swear by either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And then He'll drop down, you'll see, and don't take an oath by your head, He says, because you can't, you can't take, uh, make one hair white or black. Now this is not saying whether or not you can color your hair. Obviously some of you can do that. What He's saying is you don't in yourself have the power to do that, so don't swear on something that is not yours. You see those elements, verse 34, 35, and 36? 
that Jesus says to not swear on. <clears throat> he says, don't swear on heaven. Don't swear on earth. He goes to the holy city, Jerusalem. Don't swear on Jerusalem. Then he comes to your house and looks you in the face. And don't swear on your head. All of those things belong to God. Now, why do we feel like we need to either say, I promise, or I cross my heart and hope to die and stick a needle in my eye, or I, I swear on my mother's grave or my father's grave, or I swear on my children, or you may even, I hope you don't say this, I swear to God. We do that because we don't feel like what we're saying is trustworthy enough and we need some other authority to make sure that what we're saying is true and you'll receive it as, as the truth. But let me just say this. <clears throat> if you've got to keep reaching to some other authority to get people to believe what you're saying, then your life has not provided enough to stand on. There's not enough proof in your life that you are truthful. It's not enough for us to shake hands and me believe what you're going to say. I mean, you know this, uh, the legal profession um, has become rich because people don't keep their word. Uh, this, this is seen in, in renting a room somewhere. You have to put a deposit down uh, because people know that people, that those that are renting will leave and leave the place destroyed. This is why sometimes people um, will ask prospective spouse to sign a prenuptial agreement. By the way, if somebody wants you to sign a prenuptial agreement, do not marry that person. Prenuptial, why do, you, why do you sign a prenuptial? Because you don't trust that these vows we're making are actually going to last. And Jesus here says, now you, you need to stop all of that. It needs to be that in your life, you say what you mean and you don't avoid the truth. That your life itself becomes the ground that you can stand on. In fact, I'll bring that to my to my third point down to verse 37, is that, that you need to, to live a trustworthy life. Really, that's what this is about. This is less about um, vows, like the vow of Jephthah. Go read this story sometime in Judges, where he makes this terrible vow that if he wins the battle, if God gives him that, then he'll sacrifice his daughter, and he goes, or sacrifice the first thing that meets him on the way home. He goes home, and there's daughter comes out, and he ends up actually doing that, this rash vow. What Jesus is talking about here is, is less about the promises made and more about the fact that your own moral authority, your own moral trustworthiness, is enough weight for people to take you at your word. And that really brings us to the third point, and that is that we've got to live a trustworthy life. You see that in verse 37? There's profound truth-telling, verse 37. Jesus says, Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, Anything that goes beyond the fact that you're standing on your own two feet and your own trustworthiness means that there's something missing in your life. And if you swear on these four things he listed in verse 34, 5, and 6, 
then you absolutely are sinning before the Lord. And in fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, that's where the mouth speaks. So a couple of good questions to ask would be, are you a reliable person? Do people generally receive what you say as the truth? Are you trustworthy? If you tell someone that you're going to be there at 8 o'clock, and are you going to be there at 8 o'clock if you're not providentially hindered? And if you are, you're going to make provision to make sure people know. Are you de dependable? Here's the mark of what it means to be someone that follows Christ and is willing to, to sacrifice to your own hurt to make sure that the gospel is adorned with your own trustworthiness. Are you respectable and respectful? Are you respected? If, if you tell someone somebody something, can they believe that it is the truth? And at the bottom of that, uh, is there a Christ-likeness about you, such a Christian integrity that no one questions what it is you say? So that, that's talking to people. And then we, if you'll come with me in verse 38 and 39, now Jesus addresses how we treat people. The two things go together. And, and both of them uh, have to do with what sort of adornment we're giving to the gospel. How are we dressing up the gospel? So let's go to how we treat people. And the first thing we need to kind of get in our minds, this feels un-American, <clears throat> and that is we are to reject retaliation. Reject retaliation. Let me show you where I get that. It's verse 38 and 39. Jesus again quotes, here's a direct quote, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Eye for an eye. I mean, you don't have to even ever gone to church to know that saying. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Fight fire with fire. The Latin is lex talionis. It is, the, it is the basis for retribution, for what we would say fairness and justice. Now look what Jesus is doing. Jesus is taking the kingdom ethic. He's taking it away from natural law and saying there's something better. He's bringing it into a personal level and he says for you as a, as a, as a Christian, what's going to be more important for you? that people realize that you are a follower of Christ or you get your own personal justice. I mean, truthfully, this is radically different than what most of us were taught. And most of us were taught, uh, and we feel this naturally just as a Christian person, you're not ever going to pick a fight, but if somebody hits you first, then for some reason you're let off the hook here and you can hit them back. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus is teaching. Now, I don't think he's teaching pacifism here. I don't think that uh, where Quakers would take this or the uh, Hutterites would, would take this right here and, and make it mean there is no cause for war and strict pacifism. I think this is at a, I think this is at a personal level. This is us not being offended and angered when our rights are 
or when we are humiliated and then retaliating, I think this is Jesus saying, put away anger and malice and revenge and don't do what everybody expects you to do. Instead, you get hit, turn and let them do it again and show that you're different than everybody else. You're not like the rest of the world. There's something else about you. And as a Christian, I, I think we've got to work really hard to reject retaliation because if we retaliate in kind on a personal level, that really does take away our gospel witness. That takes away mercy. It takes away grace. It, it takes away our understanding of how God has treated us. It takes away our ability to, to speak the gospel. And nothing is worth losing that. Reject retaliation. Jesus says something else down in verse 40. He takes us another step in. And that has to do with denial. And I'll just say it like this. To embrace denial. Let me show you what he says in verse 40. <clears throat> If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Tunic and cloak. Uh, what you've got there is two very expensive items. So somebody wants to sue you and take something that's not really that expensive. Jesus says, no, look, show them something else. Let them have your cloak. That's the, that's the more expensive item. Now, this again is an expansion of retaliation. And really, this is, this is you not stepping in to protect yourself. This is you stepping in with gospel truth that says, this is not that important to me. What's most important to me is that you see Christ in my life. Now, this kingdom ethic is different than anything else you're going to hear anywhere. When you are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and you now are a child of God bought by the blood of Jesus, you now become a missionary. You're sent into the world. And the message we preach is a message of a crucified Messiah. And if we're going to preach that message, then it can't be that the followers of this crucified one are not willing to suffer. Where in your life are you pulling back your pride where are you denying retaliation? Where are you willing to be hurt in the cause of the gospel? Embracing self-denial. Let's, let's put these last two together. I'll give you another one. It's in verse 41. Let's take 41 and 42. And that'll be to go the extra mile and use things but love people. Let me read it to you in verse 41 and 42. If anyone forces you to go one mile, we're going to presume this is a Roman soldier. If anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 41, going the extra mile. Now, here's the scenario. Roman soldier, okay, Jerusalem's occupied by Rome. <clears throat> a Roman soldier had the right to have any person that was close by walk with them a mile, helping carry supplies. So, it's a thousand paces, it's about a mile. He could make you do that. And here's what Jesus says, if somebody makes you do that, then what you need to do is go beyond that. You, you need to show what grace looks like. I mean, everybody, anybody can do what they're required to do. That doesn't take, you don't have to be a Christian to do that. 
Jesus says we, we need to show that people of the kingdom are actually different. We go another, we go another mile. You know what that does? That gives you a platform to actually share the gospel. And then in verse 42, he turns away from the Roman soldier and turns over to the beggar. Someone that would be despised in that day and time. And he speaks about using things, loving people. It's, it's important for us. We live in a world where we have so much abundance. It's important for us to understand that we are to use things, love people. You see the, the words there in verse 42? Jesus says, Give to the one, give to the one who begs, and do not refuse the one who would borrow. So you're going to give to somebody you know, and you're not going to get it back. This is a beggar. It doesn't have anything. You'll probably never see that again. And then when somebody comes to borrow something from you, reluctantly uh, you might do that. Jesus says, no, you go ahead and let that go. So here are the, here are the driving thoughts um, that, will, uh, that you'll rarely go wrong with. And that is give and do not refuse. What you have there is a picture. You, you show that you value people more than you do things. It becomes a reflection of the kingdom, of the kingdom ethic of Jesus. Every bit of this is taking Old Testament law and opening it up to show us what does it look like to take the Old Testament and as a Christian use it for the glory of God and for the good of people. The Sermon on the Mount. It is a beautiful place for you to read, and meditate, and study, and let God continue to speak to you. Let me pray, and we'll be done. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a chance to study it. And I pray you use this to our benefit and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.